glad that y'all are just, you know, fellowshipping and all that kind of good stuff. Anybody, anybody not got their Christmas tree up and you're looking for somebody to come over and help you? Anybody at all? Yeah, we got one back here. So, you know, all you that love doing Christmas decorations, we got it. We got one back here. Anybody else want somebody to come over and put your tree up for you? Uh, you, my dad, my dad, what? Okay. Uh, Oh, mom's not in the room. That's why you raised your hand. Okay. So uh, Advent actually begins next Sunday, but we're kicking off our Christmas series today. And um, for those of you that um, really, really like um, theological, doctrinal, like big concept spirituality stuff, I think you're going to love this series. We're taking the book of uh, the first chapter of John, and we're going through the first 14 verses all the way up through Christmas Eve. Um, so kicking off today, we're, we're, we're starting this series called Light in the Dark. Say, light up the dark. That's, that's, that's what this is all about. And we're going to begin in the beginning. And even though we're going to focus on John chapter 1, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. Because Christmas begins in Genesis. It begins in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anybody heard this verse before? If you're like me, you memorized this from the good old King James. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, what did God say? Let there be light. The first words we have in Scripture from God have to do with light. Let that sink in for a minute. It's like God is looking into the void and the darkness all over, and he's saying, light up the dark. And with mere words, he creates. His words matter. His words have weight. Let there be light. And you know what? There was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called? Yeah. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The first words of God, again, are what? Let there be light. The virgin birth of Jesus gives us a singular focus, that God himself is personally present and he totally participates in this creation, in this life. I'm going to say this a lot in this whole month of December series. Let that sink in for a minute. That this God of creation is personally present, and he participates fully in this life of ours. And that's filled with hope. And that's why we celebrate it every year. That's why the, 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 the season of Advent is so important. You know, I grew up in Pentecostal churches and non-denominational churches here in Stanley County. And we didn't use the word Advent in the churches I grew up in. And it's not that I think these churches were opposed to the church. Well, maybe some of them were opposed to the church calendar. I don't know. But I don't think it was because they thought the word Advent was bad. The term just wasn't used that much. I didn't grow up using the, the word, the term Advent. 
Anybody here grow up using the word Advent and you remember Advent growing up? Yeah, there's a few of us. But I've, I've wondered why over the years that that word Advent was so important or why it wasn't important enough in some of the places that I frequented as a kid, especially at Christmas time. Why didn't they just call it Christmas? And as I reflected and as I thought about it more and more, one of the things I realized is that, oh, the concept of Advent is something that in our Pentecostal non-denominational churches, we celebrate it every year, actually all year long, because Advent literally means the coming of Christ. It's about the anticipation, it's about the preparation of being, being ready for Christ. That's why when we sing the song, I will make room for you, it's a preparatory song. It's a worship song that talks about, I'm going to be ready for, for Christ in, in the middle of everything going on. And, and, and it's not only the birth of Christ as the babe in the manger. We celebrated that in my Pentecostal non-denominational churches. But it's also the second coming of Christ. If, if you've gone to Pentecostal and non-denominational, here's a little hint. You're in a Pentecostal church right now if you don't know it. Some people don't act like we are, but we are. If you grew up in those kinds of churches, how many, how, many of, how many of y'all like talked a lot about the second coming of Christ? We're looking forward to Jesus coming back. We're looking forward to the second coming where all things are made new, where, where, the, rights, where the wrongs are made rights and the darkness is turning into light. Advent, we celebrated this. Not only his birth, but the second coming. The only coming to earth that we have of Christ is in the form of a baby to a virgin. The next time he comes, it's going to be seen in the clouds by everybody. Every eye will see him. He will make all things new. Why wouldn't we celebrate that as a church? So when we say Advent, I want you to just parallel that or hold that up to this idea that we, we celebrate this stuff anyway. Advent is just a word that encompasses all of those things. And it has thematic elements to it of what Christ brings. Today we're talking about the hope. Next week we're going to be talking about peace, love, joy. And it's so important that we look to the coming of Christ, not just as the babe in the manger, but as a soon coming reigning king. That will make all things new. Anybody want all things to be made new? Any, anybody just kind of sick of the gray clouds of death and depression and anxiety and hurting and pain and running out of energy? Anybody want to see God make all things new? This is a season where we call out that anticipation, where we look to Christ for who he said he is and who he was. And the book of John, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 1. The book of John gives us an introduction to this Christ that is very, very magnificent. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the other stories of Jesus tell fantastic stories of Jesus. But John opens up with an introduction of Christ that is unparalleled except for the book of Genesis. 
As we read through John chapter 1, you're going to hear words like in the beginning. You're going to hear things, themes, and, and, and phrases that feel like the very beginning words of Genesis that we just wrote, that we just read. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke have their versions, but it's, it's not this one. Because this season of Advent, this season of Christmas, and this church, we're going to focus in on Christ coming. Christ with us. Christ making all things new. Christ, in, ch- in verse number 14, moving into the neighborhood and taking on flesh with us. So how did Jesus come to this earth? Anybody? Anybody? Not a trick question. How did Jesus come to this earth? He was born. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is just, this is just like Sunday school for some of y'all. You like the questions, okay? Shout them out when I ask them. He came to earth born how? As a baby from the Virgin Mary. How many of you have experienced, whether you were present or it was happening to you, a birth? Everybody should raise their hands. Because everybody's been born. How many of you have seen a birth or experienced the pain of birth? Some of y'all were like, oh God, yes. It looks painful, I wouldn't know. It looks crazy painful. You know what? You know what else? It, it looks really messy. I will never forget when my kids were born. In preparation, I watched some YouTube videos. And I learned a very valuable lesson. Stay above the sheet. S-H-E-E-T. Stay above the sheet. Because below, below, it, 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 it is, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how strong you have to be to give birth to a child. I will never, I will never, I will never forget, especially when my second child was born, he came really, really quick. He, he came within eight minutes of us arriving at the hospital. I know. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to deliver this kid. And then I just kept pressing in. I was like, no, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Because I know the, the rule for me. The doctor asked me, would you like to cut the cord? I was like, heck no. Do your job. <laughs> no. Well, nothing to do with that. Oh, so much pain. So much. Oh, it was messy. Blood, bodily fluids. We got people walking out because they can't take the. It's terrible. Smells. Painful. Raw emotions of pain. You know, do you know that you will say words when you are, are, are incredibly, like when you're in pain, you will say words that you don't normally say? Do you know when you see something you don't normally see, you'll say those same words? Even if you're a preacher. It's an inconvenient. You know, like, like birth never happens at a convenient time unless you schedule it. Apparently, you can schedule it now. My, my, one of my best friends, him and his wife, they scheduled the birth of their kids. It, it wraps up not only the months preceding to the birth, but it also connects to the years after the arrival. I'll never forget how in one moment, life completely shifted, absolutely changed. One minute we're watching um, late night TV, 
Our binge watching. The next minute, we're like, dear God, I need sleep. One moment, dear God, we need more money. <laughs> One moment, everything shifts. Diapers, debts, eating, sleeping, co-sleeping, no sugar, too much sugar. Would you please just not give our kids sugar after 9 p.m.? Taxes, dependence, domestic trivia. If I have a baby and I can't take care of it, who will? If I don't think I have enough money, what will I do? Is fostering an option? If we can't have a baby, how will, how, is fostering an option? Is adoption an option? Calisthenics around what the family unit means because uh, most of us are in blended families today. And this is how Jesus came to us in the mess and the birth. He didn't come in some grand procession like a parade. But just like every other human being, in the mess and the smells and the bodily fluids and the blood and in the pain and the diapers and the taxes. And the biggest threat for each of us, the biggest threat for you and for me, is to miss out on where God is. To have an idea that the messy material of this world is not for the God of creation, but for the lesser souls among us. That if we would just do the right things, say the right things, be the right people, don't sin too much, and go to church just enough, that we will have an elevated or a better understanding of what it means to connect to the divine. We'll have this idea that we are made for heaven, for deeper things. That we are made for some other level of spirituality because we are the church. We are made for more than just the common everyday life. We are special. We're not made for diapers, debts, and formulas, or sleeping, or eating, or co-sleeping, or taxes, or dependence, domestic humdrum, and arguments of the commoners. But that's exactly where Jesus came. And not only is the church a cut above, the insert your favorite denomination is the best one of all the churches. These are the places you really see God because they believe in this doctrine or that doctrine. Or they believe in complementarianism or egalitarianism or predestination or Arminianism or whatever isms you want to come up with. We have this uncanny skill as human beings, to take whatever life is giving us and show how much better we can make it. But it's in this messy life where Jesus comes. And John's gospel doesn't let us live or accept the fact that there are better layers of spirituality or humanity. John's gospel opens, and every gospel opens with Jesus born in the mud and the blood and the thick of it. And not only that, when he died, he didn't die as an old man falling asleep and passing safely into glory. He died the death of an execution, the most feared way to die for all of humanity. So much so we argue as humans whether it is ethical or right to have the death penalty for egregious crimes. And we use the holy word of God to defend everything 
From our opinions on death to our opinions on sexuality to our opinions and our interpretations of whatever we have in this common mess-filled life. Did you know you can justify just about anything with this Bible? All you've got to do is be creative. I believe fully that this Bible doesn't have error. I believe fully that this Bible is God's words for us and to us over histories of interpretation, over histories of writing and oral tradition. This Bible is God's word. But what I also hold very, very true is that man's interpretation of this Bible is not as infallible as the God who said the words. And in John's Gospel... He refuses to pander to the idea that Jesus, God, is anywhere but in the very existence of the birthing room. Born in the same human mess that you and I are born from the beginning. And so my hope for these series of messages during this Christmas season is to shine the light of Jesus. Born into the mess that we all walk in every day. And our text for today are the first two verses of John chapter 1. That was just the introduction. This is going to be such a long sermon. I'm kidding. I'll get you out on time. Our text today are the first two verses. Verse number 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. Say the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. What was the Word? And when did the Word come? In the beginning. And who was the word with? And what was the word? Yeah, I mean, this is already confusing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who? Who is this scripture talking about? Any Bible scholars want to enlighten us on who these scriptures, who John is referring to? Anybody? Jesus. So when you say in the beginning was the word, we could also say in the beginning was the Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning before the word. Does it sound a little like Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's here's one of the biggest truths you can take from these two verses. If you want to... If you've met Jesus, if you know about Jesus, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you've met Jesus, you've met God. If you want to look at God, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the Word of God looks like, look at Jesus. This is a high view of this scripture right here. You know why this is a high view of the scripture? Because I am taking it at its word. The word Jesus dwelt among us. Jesus is God. And this is such good news that Jesus was in the beginning. Such good news. Because if he wasn't in the beginning, if Jesus is not God, then he very well can't really do anything to save us if he's just like you and me. Born into the mess and the mire and the muck and the junk. The word, Jesus, was in the beginning and was with God. Words have a lot of meanings. Words that you speak become a part of who you are. 
to speak a word means that you have to use your breath, your voice, the vibration of your throat. You have to make the, the, the noise through your mouth and your tongue. You, you have an embouchure. You have a way of holding your mouth when you say certain words. In a legal sense, your word can hold you accountable to a promise that you've made. You remain responsible for the words that you say. Think about the words that you've said that have meant a lot over the years. I love you. Some of us said that way too quick with one of our first dates when we were teenagers. We didn't really know what love was, but we just felt something. We're like, oh my God, I love you. Think about the last time you told somebody you love them. Think about the last time that someone who's not here anymore heard you say, I love you. Words have meaning. What about these words? Some of y'all heard these words this past week. It's time for you to go home. (laughs) And the church said, amen. (laughs) It's time to go home. I, I saw this stupid little thing on social media. I have no idea if it's true or not. But apparently in German, there's a phrase that uh, they say when they're ready to go. And it's not like it's time to go home or we'll see you tomorrow. The phrase literally says, I've, have, I've had enough visiting for today. <laughs> I'm going to try that the next time I want to get out of something. Well, you know, I've had enough visiting for today. The words we say hold great meaning. You're fired. Anybody ever heard that before? Crushing. Let there be light. The words from God. God's words are powerful, not only because they're from God, but because his words create. When God sends the word, when God sends Jesus Christ specifically to Israel, the chosen people of God, he's creating something. But you know what? Those people, his chosen people, they don't recognize the word. Some of them do. But as a whole, they don't recognize God when he's among them. And this is the biggest problem we have, calling back to that threat that I mentioned earlier, that Jesus comes to God's people, and God's people does what the rest of the world does. They prefer their own light to his. They prefer their own words to his. Their own creation to his. And his light and his word is so bright that even our brightest light is like darkness among it. And this is why we need fresh grace. Because we have this habit and this problem of creating our own good news over and over. The threat that I mentioned earlier, that we will reject where God is. Jesus, from the beginning, at this point in time, when he's born, Christmas time, or for those of you who are historical purists, during the European solstice festivals, Advent, he enters time and space. And every time we imagine imagine that there's a real spiritual life outside the one we're living, any time we imagine that there is a specific life that has it all together that we can achieve, we give in to this threat. We give in to this idea that we're going to miss God. Friends, if if the life that we're living is not attached to the life of God, then God is not very powerful at all. 
And I'll say this too, the life of sin, the life without God, is just as spiritual as the life with God. Christ, the Word, is present no matter what. And not a one of us is more spiritual than the next. Not a one of us has it more figured out and is going to heaven any faster or is getting in good with God any more than the people that you're sitting around. Friends, there is no spiritual life apart from the life that you're living right now. There's no higher plane. There's no other level. It's unscriptural and it's antichrist. There is the word. There is Christ. There is God. He's been here since the beginning. Before me and you. And he will always be after me and you. That is the life of the Christian. Of the follower. Of the redeemed. There's there's no other plane or spiritual level that we need to achieve. Because he achieved it all. And if the life you're living strives to be free of the mess of humanity, if the life you're living strives to escape the world into which you have been born, then you are actively rejecting the very elements of God's spiritual life. Because this Jesus made himself flesh and entered into this life. This God makes his way into our everyday living. Jesus, this word of God, is our hope. And no one or nothing else can take his place with victory and glory. And the temptation is to make so many other things our hope. But none of these other things have been since the beginning. None of these other things are God. None of these other things will save you. What do you mean other things? Well, I mean, we're very materialistic, aren't we? We think that if we can get some of the right things, we're going to be okay. We're going to escape this messy world. It's going to feel better. It's going to look better. We're going to get the right house or the right job. We're going to get enough money so we can climb out of that debt and we can live without the stress that we currently feel all the time. Our sex life is going to be so great that it's going to make everything else even greater. We look at material things. We look at the things that just please us and make us happy. And we think often and we live often as if that is the fullness of life. Not only that, we, we rely on our own abilities to be good or not. We, we rely on how much we know of Scripture, how much we think we understand Scripture. You know, there, there's an old way of thinking, second century old. A way of thinking called Gnosticism. It starts with a G, it's a silent G. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. You know what Gnosticism says? It says that hope in life is found when you know enough about sin and you know enough about the world to get away from the bad things that make you feel bad. That's what Gnosticism says. That you're going going to know enough about sin to avoid it. You're going to know enough about life to avoid the bad things or the negative things. 
If you know more about money, you will stay out of debt. If you know more about sex, you will not get STDs. If you know more, if you know more, if you know more, then you will be much better. Can anybody see second century thinking fitting into 2023 today? Where we think if we know the right things, say the right thing, find the real truth, everything will be better. Hope is not a philosophical and attainable stature to overcome sin. Hope is not knowing more. Modern day Gnosticism will just make us okay enough to think that we're okay. Even this word, we can use this word, this scripture, as a thing to replace Jesus. What do you mean, Nate? Well, this Bible, these scriptures, I love these scriptures. I believe they are inerrant. I believe they are God's word to us and for us. But I don't believe that these scriptures are the living God. I believe they're his words. These scriptures did not die on a cross. They told me about it. But these scriptures, if I want to see God, according to John in this book, I look at Christ from the beginning. No, this started as oral tradition, shared in families and synagogues, and now it's a printed book with words, holy words. But these words will not save you. Only Jesus will save you. Only Jesus will give you hope. These words will point to Jesus. They will give you his words. But they are not Christ. They are holy words. The Bible is not the perfect revelation of God. Jesus is. This Bible tells us all about Jesus. This Bible infallibly and inerrantly points to Jesus. As soon as I say something like this, some folks who think they know more than they know get really angry with me because they think that I'm speaking against the Bible. I actually have a higher view of Scripture than you're giving me credit for because I really believe John 1. I really believe that Jesus is God. And this Bible points to Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. Perfect love, good love, good news, the life of Jesus. He is the only perfect way to see God. And once we really embody that and we understand that, our lives are forever changed. And we are forbidden to use this Bible to harm anybody. We are forbidden to use these holy words to keep people from seeing Jesus. Even though scriptures teach us a lot of things, I said earlier, we can use these scriptures to justify just about anything. Did you know there is not a... a, There is not a verse in here or a story in here that was written during a time where slavery was outlawed. Actually, if you read this Bible and you take it seriously, what you'll find throughout the whole Bible and through the life of Jesus and the New Testament, what you're going to find is that slavery is normalized here. It actually tells slaves how to behave and masters how to treat their slaves. 
We can look at the life of the freedom in Jesus. We can look at what the New Testament says. But, we, we, but there's an entire book of the Bible that is written. It's called Philemon. About a slave who escaped. And Paul is trying to encourage the slave owner not to kill him, basically. To accept him as a brother. That was revolutionary during these times. Now, raise your hand if you think because the Bible normalizes slavery that we should have slavery today. Can I see those hands? What, now, now, first of all, you may believe that or you may not believe that, but you're not going to raise your hand out of sheer terror that somebody is going to be like, oh, a racist. You're just not going to do it. Now, why would we say that freedom and anti-slavery is a God thing if we find slavery in these books? We can say that because we stand on the freedom of Jesus and the revelation of Christ that there is freedom for captives, even though it didn't always exist in Scripture. We're not going to use scripture to justify racist human bondage. We can be the kingdom of God, living in freedom. Today, once and for all, the revelation of Christ is given. We would never go back to enslaving human beings among us, would we? Would we? I'm a little disturbed that there wasn't a more voracious no on that one. We would never go back to enslaving our brothers and sisters, would we? But sin will keep us trapped. Sin will cause us to look at Scripture and justify the things that we have opinions on and the things that we like and don't like. Sin will cause us to look at crazy things like the KKK, so-called Christian organizations, and justify it. I'll never forget, I had a, a person come into my, my study and they wanted to have a real conversation about can this, be, this person be a Christian or that person be a Christian? And they asked me, Nate, can a racist be a Christian? I said, sure. Yeah, a racist can be a Christian. But a racist can't be like Jesus. Can a racist hold a label? Yeah, they already do. What about a terrorist? What about a gossiper? What about a drug user? What about an addicted? Yeah, sure. But you know what? The things of this world and the biases and the opinions of my heart and the sin in my life can never look like Jesus unless it is laid down. That's the difference with the hope of Jesus being God from the beginning because Jesus is in the mess. He's in our world. He is among us, and this is such good news, especially for the people who are on top of the social structures of society. You know who I'm talking about, poor people, oppressed people. When people are oppressed and poor, they are often forgotten. The people at the top have a totally different sense of what justice looks like than the people at the bottom. But to that I say in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is the light in the dark. Hope from the very beginning. Jesus Christ into the future for all of us forever. That is the hope.
And you can't get more spiritual or more mature than that. Because the minute you do, the minute you do, you're going to miss the mess. The mess that you're in right now is the very place where God is birthing in you his hope. The very mess that you wade through and feel stuck in is the very place where God resurrects the dead, where God shows up, where the calluses are and the tearing and the ripping of flesh is and the mess of the body fluids and the excrement and the dirt and the soil. God is there. It's the biggest hope we have. Because none of us can escape this world. God help us if we try. Because this is where he lives. He lives in you. And he lives in me. There's a couple things I want to challenge you with before we close in prayer. On your way out today, you're going to be um, handed some invite cards. These are not for you. Don't, don't take these and hang them up at your house, okay? None of these are for you. It's, it's, it's three cards is what we're giving you. We're going to give them to you. You know what these are for? These are for you to invite someone else to hear about the hope of Jesus at our church this year. When are we doing the lights outside, Philip? Is that starting this week? Wednesday night after church. So remember the light show last year? Like Philip, his team, they put them all back up and They've got even more songs for this year. It's ridiculous. It's going to be hilarious. I love it. You can invite people to the church with all the lights. We got games for the kids. We got Christmas Eve service. We got all the stuff that's all in this card. These are not for you to keep and for you to put in your car and leave them. These are not for you to be reminded. These are for you to invite somebody, not another church. Please don't go to people in other churches and invite them away from their church. At some point, the church of Jesus is going to start growing because people are coming to Jesus and not just from other churches. The church of Jesus. We go out into a dark world and we bring the light. This this is just just a tool to help you bring some light, to invite somebody to sit with you. If you invite them to church, invite them to sit with you. Share numbers if you don't have it. Say, I'm sitting here. and Invite them to sit with you. Want to see more people in your church? Invite them to come and sit with you. We're putting these in your hands on on your way out. Not only that, Tracy talked about this earlier, the hope box and the hope fund. Those hope boxes, we're we're hoping, um, hope box hoping. (laughs) We're hoping by the end of the year to completely overwhelm the Christian ministry. Because the winter is one of the biggest times. Like some of the biggest times in need for the Christian ministry when it comes to distributing food isn't during the Christmas season, it's after the Christmas season. Because everybody's feeling generous at Christmas. Then everybody's paying off the credit card bills in January and February. So we're wanting to stock them, help them get stocked going into the new year. That hope fund that we talk about, our missionaries, we want to finish the year strong. 
There's, there's about a $30,000 difference in what was committed at the beginning of the year versus what has come in year to date. And if you've got that Hope Fund commitment, I want to encourage you to finish strong with it. These are practical things that we can do as the church of Jesus to bring that light in the dark. Because I've heard you talking and I've heard your prayer request and it seems like there's a lot of darkness around. Light up the dark. God will speak to you. If you don't know where to start or if you just want to do something, these are great things to do. But as we close in prayer, I, all, I always want to give an opportunity for us to make things right with Jesus. To pick up that light that he gives us and to embody it and to align our lives with his. Would you stand with me? And with your hands open like this, with your eyes closed, would you pray with me? All over this room, maybe you would say, Nate, I feel so far away from Jesus. I got some encouraging news for you. You're not far away from Jesus. He's closer to you than you realize. You can't be far away from Jesus. He was here before you showed up. He was with you when you came in. He's going to be with you when you leave. But you can feel like you're far away from Jesus. You can feel like things aren't right. You can feel like, you know what? I'm, I, if I died, I don't, I don't know if I would be with Jesus. If that's you and you want to say some prayers and you want to make things right with Jesus today, I want to pray with you. If that's you, just get my attention. Look up at me, wave your hand, something. Looking over here at my right, your left. I just want to make things right with Jesus. Okay. Anybody else looking across the room? Nate, yeah, I need to make things right with him. Pray for me. Gotcha. Anybody else way over here on the far right? I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Praying loud with me, dear Jesus. All right, come on, y'all. Praying loud with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. You are from the beginning. You're here with us now. You'll forever be. You're God. You're our greatest hope. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be right with you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. Not just on Sundays. Every day. Especially when I'm annoyed. Especially when I want to act out in anger. I want to worship you. Help me, God. Remind me you're near. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We had about five people that...